Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zarin. Guys, good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. On today's show, we've got big earnings from Apple, Chipotle, and Netflix. We've got the business of betting on movies, the fabulous fab, and we've got a few stocks on our radar. But we begin with President Obama's speech to Wall Street. On Thursday, the president asked for Wall Street executives to join him in supporting financial reform, saying, quote, Ultimately, there is no dividing line between Main Street and Wall Street. Now, Shannon Zimmerman, some people are saying that it was a strong speech. Others think that the president sort of blew an opportunity to get tough here. Uh, what did you think of it? I thought it was a perfectly fine speech, sort of down the middle pragmatism, which is uh, sort of his style. But I did think he, he blew an opportunity to have what uh, was called after Bill Clinton's 1992 campaign, a sister soldier moment when you speak mm-hmm. to a constituency and you say something that they're not going to want to hear. He didn't really do that. It was more, you know, let's give peace a chance than you know, the times they are changing. But if the legislation that's emerging on Capitol Hill right now is really uh, similar to what's going to eventually be passed, the the change could be dramatic. One of the things uh, that's in the, the link bill, it's being called, uh, after the senator who is the, the major proponent, would require these... Not, not Abe, by the way. Yeah, not, not Abe. Abe Abe's not involved in this one. <laughs> that's We're right. talking about Blanche Lincoln, Blanche Lincoln senator, senator from, from Arkansas. Arkansas. That's there correct. Um, it would require uh, the shops like Goldman to, to spin off the uh, parts of their business that uh, make a ton of money through uh, derivatives, and that would not be welcome on Wall Street at all. I think he blew it a little bit in that he, he tries to say there's no difference between Wall Street and Main Street, but... On the other hand, there's there's a huge difference, and you need only look at bank earnings recently, which are, of course, huge. They've been propped up by by three main uh, things, according to me, anyway, which is that they've got <laughs> they've got free mo- they've got free money from the government, right, or nearly free money. They've made a ton of money trading a huge equities uh, bounce back and or bubble, depending on how you look at it, and they get kind of a free pass from the FDIC on, on marking down bad loans for a while. Well, meanwhile, on Main Street, people are still out of jobs, and the economy is still really sagging. Yeah, my derivatives business has not taken off at all. Yeah, yeah, I I can't even find a buyer if I had to spin it off. But on the other hand, he can't talk too tough. Uh, to Wall Street because they, they pay a lot of senators a lot of real good money to get rules set the way they want. James, and Early, they pay a lot of taxes, and I, I think they, they, they're kind of holding us hostage in a sense, like pulling a doctor car. Like what I do is so complicated. Don't try to mess with me. Uh, you don't understand. That's the exactly. It's partially true. I, I see this as, a, as sort of a win for the banks. I, I agree. It's time for everybody's favorite new financial soap opera as Goldman Sachs turns. The investment bank reported big earnings this week as the drama continues to play out between Goldman and the SEC over charges that Goldman defrauded investors. And on Friday, the Wall Street Journal reported that a director at Goldman told a hedge fund manager about Warren Buffett's $5 billion investment in the bank before the deal was made public. James Early, is Goldman in trouble? Unfortunately, not long term. You know, but look, these are smart guys here. We all know that, and they have reputations for working harder than Steven Seagal's assistants. But <laughs> I, th- I think that gets to the essence of it: that, that they push the rules so far and, and do things that are sort of slimy and, and oh, obviously legal. insider trading legal, is, is exactly. totally illegal. But slimy I would propose the, the grandmother <laughs> test: if if a, if, if a, a Goldman person would not recommend a transaction to his grandmother who who pretend was 
plenty wealthy and could afford it, then, then it shouldn't be done. But but that's kind I, of the I nature. Think, of, I but don't what, think they'd mind taking their grandmothers. I guess you're right. You know, that's <laughs> but, but what if what if grandma was a hedge fund manager herself, sophisticated investor? Regardless of how this plays out in the courts, will Wall Street change for the better as a result of all of this? Abs- is, 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 this isn't a public shame uh, can situation. I, can I hit the buzzer first? No, absolutely, a, a, absolutely not. It's going to have no uh, impact whatsoever. There's this phrase, defining deviancy down, that uh, Patrick Moynihan came up with a long time ago. And that's what happens. The race to the bottom is never ending. The question is, you know, what uh, corresponding impact will it have on individual investors? Will we become so cynical or just so used to that cynicism that we don't even bother to notice it anymore? I, I hope not. Yeah, I, I think the the... the biggest effect could be people or, or certainly other institutions just being a little more cautious in their dealings with Wall Street. So so that might have an indirect effect on them. All right, let's turn to the big macro. On Friday, the government reported new home sales improved in March at the fastest single month rate in 47 years. New orders for durable goods racked up their largest gain in more than two years. Now that's excluding transportation. And the Wall Street Journal reporting this week that restaurants are heating up as more people are eating out. Seth Jason, what's your big macro headline for the week? I was interested in this durable goods headline, but I'm going to have to come out and say that I don't know what to make of it, and I don't know if anybody else does either. Here, the, the, Just a smattering of headlines from others out there, new orders for most durable goods rise, and then just below that on my screen, uh, new orders for durable goods drop. It depends on what you like to strain out. Do you want to take out defense spending? What do you want to look at? The number that I'm looking at and, and actually saying, hey, maybe this is a good sign, is that non-defense capital goods orders, I'm reading from a new story here, excluding aircraft, a closely watched proxy for business spending, surged 4% in March. Now, if we are actually getting a bounce back and not just a kind of quick bounce back because people held back for the last year, mm-hmm. worried about their balance sheets and are now just starting to to buy things, then we may actually be looking at a, some reasonably, reasonably good economic news, but we're not going to know for a couple more months. James Early, what was your headline You know, I'm an week? international man of mystery, or at least international <laughs> man. Um, I, I'm looking at this Greek bailout situation. It's sort of been back and forth, and I don't know what's going on. Do they need a bailout? Do they not need a bailout? Apparently, they do need a bailout now. But and, not last week. But not last week. I think <laughs> they want the news of needing the bailout, to, to, or not needing the bailout, to, to, to help them. But, you know, I'm still long-term skeptical on the euro because of this. Uh, Shannon Zimmerman? The restaurant uh, uptick is very interesting to me, particularly in the, the casual dining segment. I think that, you know, Ruby Tuesdays, Applebee's especially are proxies for a, a certain, uh, you know, a broad swath of the economy to the extent that people feel comfortable paying up a little bit to go there rather than McDonald's. That's probably a good sign. Uh, exit question. Our engineer, Steve Broido, just bought a home. Uh, uh, hey, Steve. Congratulations. Any, any tips for the new homeowner? Anything? Get out. <laughs> That's not that helpful right now. <laughs> <laughs> Step away from the noose. It'll be okay. Maybe. All right. Coming up, we've got earnings from Apple, Netflix, Coke, Pepsi, and more. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman as we break down some of the headlines from the week. All right, guys, a lot of big companies reporting earnings this week. Let's start with some blowout numbers from Apple. 8.75 million iPhones sold last quarter. Shares have more than doubled over the last year and now trade around an all-time high. Apple's market cap is now around 200 Forty-five billion, closing in on Microsoft, which is around two seventy. Shannon, 
what's not to like about Apple's numbers? I know they're positively iPhonic. <laughs> uh, blowout is exactly right. So you've got total revenue up about 50% versus a year ago. Earnings per share almost doubling uh, uh, over the, the relative to the year ago period. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely amazing, and they're kind of reconfiguring the culture in their own image. It's just incredible. I, I uh, have always thought that Apple never looked cheap, and even now, after the the, the, the uh, prices popped up on the earnings news, it still it looks even more expensive, of course. But I'm actually considering investing in it as an individual stock. Whoa, I own it in mutual funds. So was I. That's crazy. That is crazy. Talk. And you know what? It's a little bit. Because of the uh, advertising uh, potential that I see coming up, if, a- absolutely. If, if Apple is going to win the mobile game, and it looks like there's a fairly decent chance it is, uh, they're going to beat Google at their own game advertising with applications, with their own platform. Who knows how much more revenue there is coming down the pipe? And when they pi- when they partner with uh, somebody other than AT and T, or in addition to AT and T, that's going to be a, a game changer for them as well. Yeah. So there's no. You guys are not concerned at all that Apple stock is now overvalued. Well, it's it's, a, it's always been overvalued, and look how well that's worked out. You, you, you never know what overvalued is till later, and uh, I think there's a little more clarity on the future now than there maybe has been in the past, which which is the kind of thing that makes an expensive stock cheap. Yeah, and and, and the the second place player in this space is going to be a distant second place. Microsoft's earnings were up 35% thanks to strong sales of Windows 7, but Microsoft's Bing search engine lost more money. Seth Jason, if Bing can't turn it around, at what point does Microsoft just pull the plug on search? Well, Bing and the online business, I think that's a little misleading, so I think we have to to put off judgment on that. They're actually paying some money, according to what I read, uh, to Yahoo for the partnership, but not collecting mm-hmm. uh, revenue based on it yet. So yeah, this partnership may not work out, but we're not going to know that for a little while. What was interesting to me about these numbers was that of uh, the uh, revenue increase from selling Windows, you actually had consumer sales beating out business sales, which is important for a couple of reasons. Uh, the business licenses for Windows are a little more profitable, so if they're lagging, Microsoft's profitability isn't what it should be. It also shows that consumers, if, if they're buying uh, 35% more Windows based on Windows 7, they actually think it's okay. And it also suggests that the business tech uh, rebound that we've seen mm-hmm. really hasn't fully taken hold yet, which may be bad or good news, depending on what happens coming down the pike. Yeah, I, I'm not actually not surprised by that, because Windows 7, the, the big uh, advances there were really in the areas of, of media sharing. It's, I think Microsoft has learned some important lessons from the success it's had with Xbox, and certainly it's watched what Apple has done around that space. And it's not surprising to me that, that consumers are, are uh, uh, favoring it. What does Microsoft do to stay competitive with the likes of Apple and Google? Well, you have to pick your battles. They're never going to win the Google battle. And and Apple is winning in, in several divisions, and Microsoft will never challenge there. I think they're going to do the right thing, the new Windows Phone OS that they're coming out with. I doubt it'll compete with iPhone on the same level, but it's kind of aimed a, a little bit at a different group, and I think it'll still be successful. Remember, there are still an awful lot of Windows Phone OSs out there, and there are people like me who, who would like a Windows Phone OS simply for interoper- interoperability reasons. And if anybody could help businesses sort of uh, clear the hurdle of feeling good about cloud computing around security, it's definitely Microsoft. Better than expected earnings from Coca-Cola and Pepsi, thanks to strong international growth. James Early, I know you're not a soda drinker, but these are two companies that you follow closely. What did you think? You know, so true, Chris. What's bad for you and me is, is good for Coke and Pepsi, basically. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, let me correct that. North American sales for both of these companies have been and, and, and probably will continue to be sort of flattish. What's really driving the results is the international use of these obesity-causing food and <laughs> beverage products. This is um, how we take over the world. <laughs> these are these are both great companies. I, I wouldn't bet against them. Obviously, they're, they're both IIREX. Um, 
by my valuation models, they're not super cheap, either one, at present. When they report their earnings, do they break it out in terms of revenue lines and one of them is obesity-causing product sales? <laughs> you know, they should. <laughs> that should be the next like FDA requirement. A good week for Netflix shareholders. The company reported better-than-expected earnings and announced it has added 1.7 million net new subscribers, bringing its total to nearly 14 million. Shannon, this company is just printing money. No, it was a good quarter, not quite iPhonic. Earnings were up about 44%, uh, which uh, exceeded the forecast. The, the look ahead, though, is what's interesting. So the, the consensus there is for $0.67 cents per share in the next quarter. The guidance that Netflix has given is $0.62 cents at the low end of the range. And so, you know, a nickel here, a nickel there, soon you're talking some real money, and uh, the, the future is what Wall Street's focused on. Well, uh, our colleague Rick Mianares wrote that one thing concerning to him about the latest quarter was the revenue per subscriber number, which declined. How big a concern is that? Well, that's, that, that's huge. And that's sort of the subtext is, you know, as, as sexy as the, the web overlay is and as good as Netflix is at delivering what they deliver, which is, I think, a satisfying experience around what is a commodity business, it's still a commodity business. Thin margins. And if that is ticking down, that's not a good sign. On the other hand, $14 million sounds like a lot. But it's not compared to how many uh, you know households and people we have in the country. So maybe a little more penetration. Who knows? But remember, you know, like Shannon said, there's a, a lot of competition here. You know, on demand from cable companies, everything else. So, well, th- that was a, one of the things I was thinking when I looked at that 14 million. Obviously, a lot more people are renting movies or watching movies at, in their home. Yeah, and and Redbox is a hurdle you have to clear. You have to have a computer. You have to you know be sophisticated enough to to interact with a fairly sophisticated website. There are some you know, obstacles that have to uh, be clear before you're net. Member. Maybe this is where the iPad, it, maybe <laughs> this is where Netflix needs to really send Steve Jobs a check. You know? Just in terms of the stock itself, yep. does Netflix look overvalued to you? Well, and like Apple, it's always looked overvalued to me. Uh, Seth, we were talking before. Yes, and I a couple disagree. Of a couple of times over the past year, there were times when I said, wow, Netflix looks cheap, and then didn't buy it, which was idiotic. <laughs> <laughs> just just <laughs> forgot to do it. Stupid. But but if it is a commodity business, which at its core, I mean, in, in, the, in the past, I've argued that really what the product is, is, is the satisfying experience that you have around this thing that is a chore, basically. But if it is a commodity business, and that's in the DNA of the company, is is Netflix the new blockbuster? And you look at what the, the current blockbuster is, it's a penny stock. Is that the shape of things to come? Chipotle's first quarter profit rose 49%, sales up 16% from a year earlier. Seth Jason, shares of Chipotle are up more than 60% over the last 12 months and trade near an all-time high. What do you think? Most of that increase came over the last couple of months. We, we own this at Hidden Gems. I own it personally. And there was a, a time not too long ago where I looked at the shares and said, wait, how can, how can this be barely beating the market? Now, of course, it's clobbering the market. And part of that is that 16% sales increase. But it's a 4.3% comparable restaurant sales increase as well. This quarter showed that they, they increased margins. They increased their operating leverage on just about every single expense line. So the, the profits just shot forward. Some of that won't hold for the future because food's gotten more expensive. They're going to spend more money on advertising, but still the business is already much more profitable than I ever modeled it out to be at this point in time. And I I believe that anybody on Wall Street did. They're still growing restaurants 10% a year or so, and they keep cranking up the profitability. So uh, I have a nice problem with Chipotle. It is now something like 10% of my retirement portfolio because I managed to time a sale at the last high and then buy some back. 
it's a nice problem to have, but it's tough to figure out what you should pay for Chipotle. The wild card is how much more profitable can they get because you pretty much know how much the top line will grow. Well, you know, it's, it is possible for investors to gift stock um, if you want to make a charitable <laughs> donation to the Chris Hill Foundation, uh, just, you know, we can talk you, after you're the You're going to have to wait a, a long time because it's all in my retirement accounts and I can't touch it. Harley Davidson reported better than expected earnings this week and shares jumped. But Seth, Harley is shipping fewer motorcycles now than it was a year ago. You're stealing so. all my good work, all my lines here. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, I get to be the one who complains. You go ahead and cheer. All right. So what does the future look like for Harley? It's hard to say, but I, I'm not excited about these earnings. I dug into them, and I will also put in a plug for our, our front page at fool.com where there's a Harley story, and there's a fairly uh, critical and maybe a little bit mean-spirited, but but right on target uh, comment from, from a reader that brings up some of the points I'm going to talk about now, which is that, well, first of all, revenues were down 28 or 18.9%, 28.1% fewer motorcycles shipped on the quarter, and sales out of the retail stores down 18.2% worldwide. That's not good. On the other hand, days inventory outstanding, which is a measure of how well they're kind of moving their inventory through, up. Uh, other cash conversion cycle metrics also have been, have, been, have been going bad for years now, not getting any better. Gross margins are already dropping, and I believe in the call they point out that it would have been even worse except they had a mix, uh, 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 an unexpectedly beneficial mix of higher-end motorcycles that is not going to stick going forward. I, I'm really not excited about these shares. They're still dealing with the, uh, the collapse of kind of the American poser, the accountant who wants to dress up in leather and ride a $20,000 motorcycle on weekends. You shut up, I stopped doing that. Yeah, <laughs> to pretend that he's like a penniless highway badass. And given what we're seeing in the economy, I don't think those people are coming back soon. And I don't think we'll ever have as many of them as we did when people were taking money out of their house to spend on a Harley. Yeah, it still has the, the world's best ticker. H-O-G is the ticker symbol. And it's not a surprise, yeah. right? I mean, it's a, it's a discretionary good. Expensive. One. A couple of years ago, they tried to patent their sound, which they described as saying potato repeatedly in a very low voice. <laughs> potato, <laughs> potato, potato. Yeah. I, I don't know if it, if it went through or not, but I remember that was their All the makers of, of biplanes would be in trouble. <laughs> All right. The guys will be back later to share the stocks that are on their radar. Hey, we want to hear from you. What changes would you make in the way Wall Street does business? What do you think is the biggest threat to Apple? And most importantly, are you a Harley rider? Drop us an email at motleyfoolmoney at fool.com. We want to hear your thoughts and we want your questions. That's motleyfoolmoney at fool.com. Those Harleys, they cost so much money. A small bike was all he could buy. He covers it up on his carport. If anyone saw it, he'd die. He acts just as tough as his buddies. They drink Harley-Davidson Up next, what's next for the SEC's lawsuit against Goldman Sachs? And what does the future hold for Howard Stern? We'll dig into those topics and more with our next guest. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and the battle is on. In one corner, the SEC. In the other, Goldman Sachs. Here to give us some analysis on that story and some of the week's other big news is Frank Ahrens. He's a business reporter for the Washington Post. He writes the Economy Watch column on WashingtonPost.com, and he joins me now from the Post newsroom. Frank, welcome. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So I want to talk about Goldman Sachs in a minute, but let's start with President Obama's speech to Wall Street. Uh, what stood out for you uh, when the president was speaking? 
Uh, I thought that he had um, one boffo takeaway line that I think was well-crafted and uh, I think may stick. He writes, or he said, Americans don't begrudge success when it's earned. Um, I thought that was interesting, but a better one was this. Unless your business model depends on bilking people, there's little to fear from these new rules. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Frank Ahrens from the Washington Post. All right, Frank, things are starting to heat up between the SEC and Goldman Sachs. The SEC is saying that Goldman didn't disclose the role that fund manager John Paulson played in helping Goldman put together an investment made up of some low-quality mortgage-backed securities, uh, and then that was then sold to clients who were unaware of Paulson's role. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of drama still to be played out, but to this point, what's been the most interesting part of this story for you? I think maybe the most interesting thing still is kind of from the beginning of it. I mean, this bomb was dropped in the middle of a trading day on Friday, and that's unusual. I mean, usually it comes before or after the the markets um, are open, and it seemed like the SEC was really wanting to make a statement. I I had written, I said, I don't know exactly what the SEC could have known at 11 a.m. that it didn't know it at 9.28 a.m. that morning, why they waited until 11 a.m. Clearly, it was a big splash. Um, That was astounding to me. And the fact that it was Goldman. I mean, if you're going to go whale hunting, you go after the great white, obviously. Now, obviously, prosecutors make the charge on where they think they have the most evidence. And the SEC thinks they have you know, a strong case against Goldman. What's interesting to me, too, right now is how Goldman appears to be spoiling for a fight. And they're not just going to take this lying down. Um, they believe they did nothing illegal. They had a point-by-point explanation of what they did. Um, other outlets like CNBC are reporting that uh, there is testimony within the government's case that appears to contradict the government's case. So right now it's very interesting to see, you know, is, has the government gotten out of, uh, gotten over its skis a little too much on this? And if so, you know, where it goes from here, I had said to somebody else, you know, if this thing goes to trial, which side do you think can afford the dream team of lawyers, the government or Goldman Sachs? We're talking with Frank Ahrens from the Washington Post. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I'm starting to enjoy about this story, just for, from a political theater standpoint, is some of the characters that have already emerged in this. Um, uh, the a guy at Goldman, uh, Fabrice Torre, uh, or as he calls himself, the Fabulous Fab. I can't wait to see this guy next week. He's, he's, he's going to come testify here in Washington before the Senate. Uh, I just want to get you know, set some eyes on him and see, you know, who he is, what he sounds like. Uh, that's what's sort of really fascinating about this for, you know, a lot of, some of your listeners know this, a lot probably don't, is that, you know, they see the public face of, of Goldman. They see Lloyd Blankfein. Uh, but there are so many people inside of a firm this big who are so influential, and so many of them are really young. Um, and firms like Goldman love to do this, sort of recruit the best and brightest and then give them the reins to power, and it sort of reinforces their reputation on the street as, as, as having the best, youngest, hotshot minds. And that provides some you know, sort of intellectual capital to the, to the company. Goldman's not the only one that does it, obviously. But yeah, so this, they have this 31-year-old you know, Frenchman come uh, before the Senate next week. It should be really good theater. Well, and as you mentioned, Goldman Sachs can certainly lawyer up as well as anyone. But, but at the same time, they've got their CEO, uh, Lloyd Blankfein, who you know, is already on record as saying the SEC's case will, quote, hurt America. And he said that Goldman is doing God's work. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you, if you're doing PR for Goldman Sachs, at some point, are you just stopping by PetSmart to pick up a muzzle? <laughs> 
that's really interesting, right? I mean, how far is too far for, you know, where does, where does confidence, you know, cross the line into a sort of mind-changing uh, arrogance? And that, does that really turn on you? I mean, quite honestly, if Goldman thinks they have the law on their side, uh, and if they have surveyed the financial regulatory reform that's on Capitol Hill now and thinks they'll be fine, if, you know, if it passes, Blankfein's going to say what he wants to say. Uh, I want to ask you something about that uh, Michael Lewis uh, wrote a piece this week for Bloomberg, uh, and I want to read you a bit of it. Basically, what Michael Lewis says is the bond market is never going to be the same after this. Um, and, and I'll quote from what he wrote. Just as there was a time when people could smoke on airplanes or drive drunk without guilt, there was a time when a Wall Street bond trader could work with a short seller to create a bond to fail, trick and bribe the ratings companies into blessing the bond, and then sell the bond to a slow-witted German without having to worry if anyone would ever know or care what he'd just done. That just changed. Do you think he's right? Do you think that, that Goldman could end up winning in court, but the, the, uh, the social aspect of all of this has changed forever? Whew, I was afraid you were going to ask me to comment on the wits of Germans. <laughs> um, yeah, the concept of social shame, right? Um, does it matter if what you're doing is legal? Is it right? When you think about that, you say you're sort of asked to take the other person's interest in mind as well as your interest. And one of the cardinal rules on Wall Street, in fact, in any dealing, heck, when you buy a house, you know the person on the other side of the table does not necessarily have your best interest at heart, and it's kind of not their business, too. And so that's the question. Will that change? I mean, will, will that go to will, – will, will companies start doing sort of massive disclosure saying, you know, okay – we think you should know this, but we want to really make sure you know this. This is what you're buying. Hello, are you getting this? It's hard to say that the, 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 the Wall Street is going to move to that. You're listening to Motley Full Money. We're talking with Frank Ahrens from The Washington Post. All right, Frank, time to wrap up with a round of buy, sell, or hold. It's a move that surprised some people, a lot of people actually, in the entertainment industry. Buy, sell, or hold Conan O'Brien's move to TBS. You know, I'm, I'm sort of bullish on this because I think uh, he's the kind of guy who could help rise the tide, help take the tide up with him, because he never got the massive numbers that uh, Leno did, but he's got a very devoted, uh, somewhat smaller audience. Uh, I, might, I might buy that. Buy, sell, or hold the business of Twitter. Uh, I guess I'm neutral on that still. <laughs> I, I haven't seen anything that's proven to me there is one. But if I say there isn't, somebody's going to invent something in the next five minutes that's going to make me look like an idiot. <laughs> Just to spite you. Yeah. All right, finally, we don't hear as much about him these days. So buy, sell, or hold the likelihood that Howard Stern will leave Sirius XM and return to terrestrial radio in the next three years. I think I'd buy that because I'm not sure there's going to be satellite radio in the next three years. Really? And, yeah, and, and even, well, listen, I have been, a, full disclosure, I've been a, uh, an XM subscriber since like December 2001. I'm like customer 4000 or something like that. And, from, and it's a terrific service. I, I've written several times, and the whole, its whole lifespan, I've written several times, it's a great product. I don't know if it's a great business. And I've always viewed it as a transitional technology, as, as many are. It's a bridge between where we were and your PC in your car, so you get Pandora or whatever. Um, and even if there is a satellite radio in three years, I'm not sure continue, can, it can continue to pay Howard Stern what he's making. If you want to follow the economy during the week, get to WashingtonBoast.com, read Economy Watch column, 
you're on Twitter, Frank Aaron's handle is the ticker. He is one of the best in the business at this kind of coverage. Frank Aaron's from the Washington Post. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. Coming up, should there be a market for trading movie futures? We'll dig into that with our guest, Nell Minow. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. The derivatives market is a $600 trillion market, and that market may soon get a little bit bigger thanks to the movie derivatives. Yes, Congress is considering the merits of a movie futures exchange, a market where investors could bet on how much a movie will make at the box office. Here to share her perspective is Corporate Library co-founder Nell Minow. When she's not grading boards of directors, she's reviewing movies as the movie mom. Nell, welcome back. Well, thank you very much. So this week, the Senate Agriculture Committee voted to kill this proposal, but movie derivatives could still see the light of day as the financial reform bill gets hammered out. What is your basic take on a market for movie futures? Is this a good idea? Well, it's been a monopoly money idea for quite a while. Years ago, the Hollywood Stock Exchange uh, went online, and in fact, I made quite a bit of fake money going long on Blair Witch Project before it was a big hit. Um, But, uh, you know, it's an appealing idea. It's got a lot more sizzle than steak, I think. Uh, Secretary Geithner said in an interview this week that while he doesn't think it's necessarily a good idea, he said, you know, you can't stop innovation. So, I mean, is this is this something that's just going to happen one way or the other? I think it, it probably is. It is an appealing idea, but I don't think that it's a meaningful idea. You know, it kind of reminds me of the last days of Enron, where they were taking futures on weather and all kinds of crazy stuff. You can bet on something. You know, there's always been a very, very fine line between investing and betting. And this one makes that line even finer. Because remember, as in the kinds of derivatives that got us into trouble, these are purely synthetic. They they put no money into these movies. They're just sort of side bets on the movies. Uh, and uh, for that reason, um, I don't think that they are uh, really very substantial. And I don't think that they're going to be of tremendous appeal. There are so many factors that go into predicting whether a movie is going to make money at the box office or not. Let's talk about the losers uh, coming out this week. Um, you know, on the one hand, it's based on a comic book. On the other hand, um, it's a PG-13. You just, you know, you're trying to get the, that most elusive of audiences, teenagers, for a movie that is going to make a tremendous amount of money. You've got to get teenagers. And so I think that makes it a, a hard one to call. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Nell Minow, the movie mom, and also the co-founder of the Corporate Library. Uh, Let's widen the lens a little bit to the issue of financial reform. Obviously, it's uh, a big topic on Capitol Hill right now. Uh, What are one or two things of all of the issues being debated? What are one or two things that you think absolutely, positively have to be included in financial reform legislation for it to be meaningful for investors? Uh, the two things that I think are most important are uh, I'm with Elizabeth Warren on the creation of a consumer uh, agency. If you look at the very, very compelling chart that she hands out of all of the different kinds of regulatory authorities uh, that are out there right now just consolidating everything in one place and putting the focus on the consumer rather than the issuer, I think is tremendously important. The other one for me, my personal pet favorite that is in the bill is a majority vote. Right now, you do not need any more than your own vote to be elected to the board of directors. 
We have over 80 directors currently serving, even though a majority of the shareholders voted no. Uh, the idea that directors should have to get a majority support of the shareholders in order to be able to serve is a little bit revolutionary, but I think it's uh, time has come. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Nell Minow. All right, Nell, let's, let's close with a round of buy, sell, or hold. Um, let's start with uh, a movie that barely topped the box office last week and has certainly generated a lot of controversy. Buy, sell, or hold the movie Kick-Ass. I'm going to go sell on that. Even though I enjoyed the movie very much and I gave it a moderately good review, I am truly offended by the idea that they would have a 12-year-old child saying and doing the things that they have her doing in that film. She's essentially raised to be a killing machine. She's like a pint-sized Kill Bill. And the way that she's raised um, and the things that she's asked to do really are genuinely transgressive and shocking. And I think the, the problem is we've seen a lot of kids using very, very bad language in movies recently. And I think the reason is it's harder and harder to shock us. Adults can say pretty much anything these days, and we sort of yawn. And I think that's why it's moved on to kids. And it's too bad. And I, I really blame her parents. I don't think they should have let her be in this film. Buy, seller hold the new documentary about Jack Abramoff, Casino Jack. Well, uh, very consistent with the film itself. It's a buy, 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 <laughs> uh, particularly if you can get some money from the Indian tribes. Uh, I think uh, it's an outstanding documentary. There's going to be a feature film as well with Kevin Spacey. I'm looking forward to it. But the movie is great. Everyone should go see Casino Jack. Uh, it's stirred up a lot of controversy for its depiction of the Prophet Muhammad. Buy, sell, or hold South Park. <laughs> that's a that's a buy. <laughs> uh, uh, South Park is uh, is irreverent in the best possible sense of the word. When South Park first came out, did you think it would last this long? Because they, Never. They, they, they've just done their 200th I episode. Was, I know that. I heard them interviewed on Fresh Air. I, I, you know, I, think, I, I thought it was a one-joke uh, show, and I was really wrong. And finally, they've got a lot more competition at the theater these days than when I was a kid. Buy, sell, or hold Raisinets. <laughs> Off the record, buy them at the uh, grocery store and sneak them in with you. You'll, it's a much better buy. Isn't that going to get you in trouble with the, with the movie theaters? Well, that's why I use the word sneak. She is the co-founder of the Corporate Library. She is the movie mom, and she is absolutely one of our favorites. Nell Minow, thanks for being here. Anytime. Bye-bye. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, and back in the studio with me are trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zirin. Guys, we had so much fun with it last week, we're going to do it again, a little Harper's Index with our man Steve Broido. Steve's going to throw out a question, we'll take a shot at it, and Steve will share the answer. Steve, what do we got first? The ratio of Obama's total campaign donations from the financial sector to McCain's total from the same sector? Uh, I'll say seven to one. Seven to one? Yep. Three to one. I was going to say four to one, so together James and I are seven to one, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you're half the, half the men I am. You're good with the numbers. And the correct answer is three to two. That's oh. three to two. Is that all? Wow. They were really kind of hedging their Seven to one, man. Surprised. All right, what do we got next, Steve? The ratio of the total square footage of the world's Walmarts to the total square footage of Manhattan. Hmm. Huh. This is where we need like the Jeopardy theme music or something do, like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Point seven to one. Point seven to one, says James Early. Shannon? Uh, I'm 
one to one. Two to one, Walmart wins. And the correct answer is nine to seven. That's oh, nine wow. to seven. <laughs> oh, close <laughs> to one to one. We'll have some lovely parting gifts for you. All right, last one, Steve. The minimum number of songs sold on iTunes that consist entirely of silence. Again, the minimum number of songs sold on iTunes that consist entirely of silence. You have got to be kidding me. People oh. are sending a, a dollar to Steve Jobs for, for nothing. Well, they're all by John Cage. So, Mr. <laughs> Art Historian, you should you know appreciate that. I'm going to say 50. Minimum meaning there's a maximum. Well, meaning we you know there, we we can't really we're not going Har- to the people it. at Harper's Park, Index yeah. aren't going to go through Let's and listen to every seven, damn song on seven, iTunes. Seven. I don't know. There got to be a dozen of them. The correct answer is two hundred and ninety-one. Oh, oh wow! I think we have. I think we got a model here. If we offer up our album, and, and it could be a whole album, and we could call it "The Sounds of Silence." <laughs> And, and we just offer the whole thing up for a buck. People might rather listen to that than what they're currently listening to. <laughs> Moment of silence, silent night. All right, guys. Uh, before we get out of here, let's talk about the stocks that are on our radar. Shannon Zimmerman, we'll start with you. Yeah, so uh, my uh, radar stock is McDonald's MCD. Uh, obviously a terrific company, great management, uh, fine, fine operators, and the results just keep on uh, coming. So they uh, reported upticks across all the regions. U.S. Uh, was the was the smallest increase, but abroad uh, doing quite well. And with a stronger dollar, that you know, they, it's uh, that didn't help, and the results were still uh, quite quite strong. I, I, the segment of their business that is of most interest to me is the Mick Cafe, uh, mm-hmm. which is about a year old now, and it's doing remarkably well. And it doesn't cost a lot of money to make those drinks that cost a lot to buy uh, on a McDonald's menu anyway. And don't forget, the added benefit of the coffee drinks are uh, it's a legally addictive drug. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And it, and it sort of supplements, it, it diversifies the revenue stream beyond the obesity-causing product sales. <laughs> James Early. Chris, my newsletter subscribers already know that I like water utilities. They're actually, they're better termed water and sewage utilities because they, they typically handle that. There is a big need in this country to upgrade our water infrastructure and sewage infrastructure. In some places, we're still using wooden pipes like, like ancient Rome did. I mean, those must smell rich. Oh, <laughs> um, my stock is California Water. Uh, CWT is the ticker, 3% yield and over 20% upside by my model. Seth Jason. Hey, we own that one at Hidden Gems, too. I uh, I looked at a lot of stocks and a few. I, was, eh. I liked Starbucks this week. I liked what I saw of earnings recently. I liked the, the dividend news. And then I didn't like that on Thursday it, it jumped several percent for, for what I couldn't. It's like no apparent reason. But if you can get Starbucks around 25 a share and you're looking at it in a long-term holding that'll probably pay out a ton of cash over, over a long period of time, I think Starbucks is fine. Okay. Seth Jason, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Welcome. Great. Thanks to our special guests this week, Nell Minow from the Corporate Library and Frank Ahrens of the Washington Post. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it at our website, motleyfoolmoneyatfool.com. You can also get a copy of our free report, The Motley Fool's Top Stock for 2010. All that and more at motleyfoolmoney.com. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll be right back. 